0: Welcome to Behavioral Grooves. My name is Kurt Nelson. And I'm Tim Houlihan. Behavioral Grooves is the podcast where we talk with guests to try to get a better understanding of why we do what we do. We've been recording discussion with researchers, practitioners, and accidental
1: behavioral scientists for over 70 episodes, and we have listeners in over 100 countries. Those listeners are people just like you who are curious about the application of behavioral science to both work and life. Tim, I have a question for you, though. Yeah, go ahead. Do you ever talk to your servers in a restaurant? Always.
0: Always. Always, Always, besides just ordering food. Besides just ordering food. I'm interested in getting their perspective. If it's a, I mean, the, the whole idea of there being a server implies that there's going to be something more than just a meal. And and part of the bigger than just a meal experience for me is having a little I- in exchange with the servers. How about you?
1: Mm, not really. Not, uh, not ever? Not, well, I... Sometimes Sometimes, I think if they initiate it probably more than I do, or maybe if I'm in a, in a unique restaurant or somewhere where the context is uh, inviting to this. But if I am going into a Chili's or some other (laughs) kind of restaurant, I'm not going to be asking that person about them or their day or, or what's going on. I might ask them about the food,
0: but that's a (laughs)
1: transaction for me. At that point. Okay.
0: And it never leads, it it rarely leads to anything beyond the transaction? Rarely leads to anything. So,
1: and we bring this up because this is part of the conversation that we get into with our guest, Chris Maticek, about that. As we are getting into this and it was fascinating conversation.
0: yeah, yeah you know Chris is a columnist that we ran into because of this piece he wrote about uh, how creativity is muted by music, right which we have talked about lengthy in the past and we thought it'd be cool to talk with Chris about it. yeah we've talked
1: about music playing while working in the past and we thought we'd get a different take on it by inviting Chris to the show. but that article and the discussion around it was just A way to get us started. Absolutely. (laughs) Our conversation with Chris went all over the place. Advertising the psychology of who we are and who Tim is. He did a little psychoanalysis on Tim politics, Google, and World War III. We talked about World War III. Yeah, and how uh, the
0: nerds are going to win it. There you go. So we covered a lot of ground. Yes, we did. Okay, so on a completely different note, um, I'd like to introduce a new part of our podcast here. Kurt, I haven't told you about this, but it's called the Review of the Week. What? <laughs> what do you think? Go for it. <laughs> yes. Okay, so we had a review from one of our listeners in Sweden. I thought that we should share it. Okay. Okay, so it's a review from Samuel McHale in Sweden, and this is what he had to say. This is an amazing podcast that manages to do two rare things at the same time. Be very enjoyable to listen to. Kurt and Tim are great hosts, and all the episodes are well produced. And two always have interesting content and people from which you learn something new. I always feel like I've gained some new perspective and insights. So I'm very appreciative of the work Tim and Kurt are doing. And this podcast is really great for behavioral science and economics community. Thanks guys. And keep up the good work. Wow. Thank you, Samuel. That was very nice. Yeah. Thank you very much, Samuel. That was cool.
1: It's great to have our listeners share what they think about behavior groups, and we really
0: appreciate those kind words. Yeah, definitely. We'd like to hear all of your thoughts about the podcast. Uh, Leave us a review, send us a note. We'd love to be in touch. Yeah. We love to
1: exchange ideas with people who are interested in the application of behavioral science. And that brings us to our guest for this episode, we want to invite you now to sit back with a fine glass of nerdiness <laughs> and hope that you enjoy our conversation with Chris Magischick.
2: I just find people interesting. I mean, they're more interesting to write about than, you know, the people who run tech companies who are not people at all. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, <laughs> you know, if I have a choice, I'd rather, you know, it's like when you go to a restaurant, you just want to talk to the server. And some people don't because they <laughs> is probably more interesting to you than your own life. Unless, of course, you were brought up too heavily American. And then, you know, then <laughs> you know it's far more important. That, than you yes.
0: anymore, you know. Whatever you'd like to rant about. We're all about about oh, rabbit holes.
2: I don't rant. I mean, it just, you know, to me, everything I write is kind of written with a, at least a wink. And sometimes people don't stop <laughs> the wink, so they think I'm ranting. But but I'm actually not ranting at all. It's I, I, the world is absurd. I mean, why do you think one of my columns is called "absurdly driven"? Yes, I mean, because it, it, the world makes no sense. I adore scientists for trying to want it to make sense or to try and define the sense that it allegedly makes, but it doesn't make sense. So you have to tease out the things that bring you joy or that make you feel other things that are perhaps the opposite of joy and try and, you know, ignore those as much as you can. Or laugh at them. Or laugh at them because, you know, I mean, the technically incorrect column that I've been writing has been going for, what, 12 years now. And nerds I find extremely strange. You're probably – one of you is at least a nerd, I'm sure. And um, so whenever I first encountered them moving to California, because I tried to avoid them as much as possible – Um, or at least just chuckle at them at, you know, university. Um, The way that they think and the way that what matters to them is very strange. So it so happened that I was consulting and somehow CNET got in touch with me, you know, famous tech site, which I at the time had honestly never heard of. And they said to me, well, what do you think of the site? And I said, well, I don't understand 90% of the headlines. And to be honest with you, I think it's a it's rather humourless. I probably use stronger words than rather humourless, but
0: (laughs) which, by the way, you can use on this podcast. No, it's okay.
2: (laughs) I try and be polite. I have the British accent. Thankfully, no British blood, but don't worry. I'm not involved in Brexit in any way whatsoever. (laughs) Thank (laughs) God for that. However, Uh the irony is, I did the campaign targeted at small businesses um, to try and get them to understand in whenever it was, the 80s, are what it was to be in the EU. And mm. and John Cleese so loved what we wanted to do, he gave us a picture from Faulty Towers for nothing because the headline said, you don't have to learn another language, you just have to shout a little louder in English. And it was, <laughs> and it was, it was a, picture, a picture of him and Manuel. John, you know, you... I'm sure, hopefully you know the show, right? So it's, yes, it's yes. Basil Faulty staring down at Manuel and we had that headline and it was a government ad. So imagine that ad was actually done for the government and the government approved <laughs> it. We had to go through all these government departments to get it approved. Um, so no, I have nothing to do with Brexit. But, but in writing about you know, nerdy things. It's remarkable how quickly I got death threats because I was mocking them and hate mail and stuff like that. Seriously? Seriously? Oh God. Yeah. And then after probably, I don't know, six, nine months, maybe a year. And I, you know, I hadn't ever wanted to be a blogger and columnist or whatever you want to call it. And columnist sounds better these days.
0: It does oh, much better. Yes.
2: Yeah. Bloggers. So de classe, isn't it? And, and so, you know, I got all this sort of hate mail and stuff. And then it was like China's great leap forward. It was as if hundreds of thousands of nerds got the joke at the same time, and it was almost like it was a developmental stage for them. I don't know what behavioral science would say about that. <laughs> it was like a developmental stage, and suddenly I, I was lucky that you know I, st- I got a lot of readers not try. I mean, I wasn't. It was just something that entertained me at the time. And then suddenly a lot of people started reading it. So I felt very fortunate that a lot of people started reading it. And yeah. they still do, allegedly. I mean, as far as I know, they seem to. So um, so yes, nerds are very strange. Perhaps you can explain to me why they behave the way you do, given your behavioral science.
1: Yeah, the, the behavior <laughs> of nerds is not, uh, not on the top of my list of studying, but it could very well be after this. I might have to go and research some of this.
2: Well, here's a, okay. here's a theory for you. They only exist in terms of creating systems and solving what they see as problems. So they define the problem in a particularly rational way because all they kind of grasp is a rational solution to a rational problem, and they forget any of the human ramifications that exist outside of that system. In turn, we have become really, really poorly, abjectly subject to those systems. So we are now behaving much more like nerds than we ever used to before, right? <laughs> we're staring at screens, looking at phones, poking, which is exactly what a nerd would do 20 hours a day, because they don't sleep much, do they? So, you know, it's it, it, to me it's kind of fascinating how, you know, they've managed to turn human beings much more into like them, and we have allowed it because we're desperate to post pictures for our grandmother on Facebook about what a fun vacation we had.
1: Right, and I th- but it's it's interesting because you talk about that component of being rational and various various components along that. And if you look at classical economics, that is
0: exactly
1: like they take they take the human being out of human being, right? And, <laughs> and it's basically you are a robot, and we plug and play, and you do X and Y. And so that's been the that's been the fun part about some of the behavioral science work that is coming on because we're saying, hey, look, you can't take the human out of human being. You you have to keep that human in, and we act in these ways that aren't aren't rational, that you can't just plug and play. And so we have to understand the real person, not this idealized or fantasized robot that's out there that says, hey, do X, they'll do Y, and that's not how we work, so.
2: It isn't, no. And of course, the, the odd thing is that each human will respond in their own version of humanity. Yeah. So in order to create, to actually study and decide that there is some kind of group behavior where we all react similarly, can be mistaken because we don't.
1: No, and and we tend to to overgeneralize for some of those facets where it says, oh, well, we have a R, you know, it's a 95% R factor, so thus it must be true. And it's like, no, you're you're actually, you're going from 1.2% of the population to 1.7% of the population. Yeah, that's, yeah, it's valid, but it's still 1.7% of the whole population. And of that, it probably sways depending on context. So there you go. You know? Yeah, we're a mess. Okay.
0: There you go. I have a really important question for you that, we okay. have, that I have to get out of the way.
2: Which is you want to know how to pronounce my name.
0: Yes! <laughs> yes! You've, you, you, you've been
1: through this, you know, pony show <laughs> once or twice. I'm a behavioral twice.
2: scientist. I think about other people. <laughs> 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 well, here's what I when, – when I go to a restaurant and I, I go to the host stand and I'm asked, what's the name? I say, well, it begins with M. And then it's the shittiest Scrabble hand you've ever had. (laughs) Because Or the alternative answer is, honestly, pronounce it any way you want, because I really hope I've heard every version on earth. (laughs) Because seriously, (laughs) you know, for a time, quite a few, like when I I grew up in England, obviously, because of the way I talk. But um, that was a strange experience that we can come to later. Um, They they used to call me Chris Majestic, because they couldn't pronounce it. The okay. actual pronunciation is Matischik, uh, because the SZ and the CZ in the middle are like S-H-C-H.
0: Matischik.
2: That was very good.
0: I'm gonna let Tim say that, and I'm not even gonna try. <laughs> I'll record the intro. Let's we'll we'll just take that off of your table there, 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 Kurt. Okay, but well, I like I like Chris Majestic. I
2: think well, that's cool. Matt, if if it if it makes you happy, it makes me happy. Because honestly, <laughs> if imagine, I think I used to get extra marks for spelling my name right on exam papers. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, think, I think i used to do quite well because i could actually spell it mind you i've misspelled it a couple of times which is your own name yeah because when you're typing when you're typing it can happen you 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 don't look right you don't look at this, you, you're kind of typing away but yeah i misspelled my i mean Houlahan, when you've had a few beers isn't that easy to spell that's well, for sure. and
0: the autocorrect for hoolahan is hooligan
2: of course it is. <laughs> and then in parentheses, Irish.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, okay. So I want to ask you about this, this article, uh, the, the, this is this piece that you wrote on creativity. You said that, uh, Pink Floyd and Beethoven have been stimulants for you for creativity. Yes. What, what's the deal? What, you know, uh, do you do you buy the research that says that you that when you're trying to do something creative, you shouldn't be listening to uh, no. music?
2: No, of course I don't buy. Well, I buy the research insofar as I believe it was sincerely conducted, and you know, research is often, I you know, having married one, you know, they're really sincere, um, but no, it depends on how you think it affects you. For me, I discovered Pink Floyd as a way for, well, frankly, getting away from my family when I was a kid, right? Because the metal album particularly, you know, the instrumental second side, what was it called? Echoes. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, you, I found myself able to concentrate better when I was listening to that, when I was studying for exams and stuff. And so, yeah, I think, you know, it depends on the atmosphere that's created, but, you know, atmospheres – we don't actually, one of the things we know least about, I think, is how atmospheres work in the first place. So for example, why is it that sometimes you can meet, meet a stranger and they instantly think you're funny and then you meet another stranger and they instantly think that they want to get away from you as simple as, po- as soon as possible, even though you've kind of said the same kind of things. And we don't know. And I think it's the same how emotionally that impacts you. I'm not sure whether anyone could really tell you the whys and wherefores of how that happens. So certain music affect, like, you know, some people adore Coldplay. I remember talking to some teenager who just said all of Coldplay's music is miserable as hell. That just makes me so miserable. I can't bear to be anywhere near it. Other people find it uplifting and smooth and, erudite for all i know i mean you know.
0: <laughs> and they love chris martin you know in, in part you can't you can't remove the artist from the art no so yeah
2: no so so I, I like i said i accept the research but how something impacts you the strangest things impact the strangest people have you ever seen the eurovision song contest for example
0: no well, no, we've heard quite a bit about it. It got a lot of press this year in the U.S., but uh, I've never seen it.
2: Oh, it's time! You know the way that <laughs> that, that terribly kitschy show—the way it impacts different countries and how some take it seriously, how some find it enormously kitschy, how it has now become one of the big gay events of the year—and you know these things suddenly kind of they change over time in the way that they affect individuals and even groups. So, yeah, I mean, what music affects you guys? What, what If you want to focus, what do you play? Do you, do you have silence or what?
1: So now now Tim and I are different on this. I and this is, this is a very interesting component because we've had this conversation. And I think it was part of the reason why we reached out to you because I enjoy music when I'm writing and work. And I find it as this element that adds to creativity. And I will usually do music as long as it doesn't have lyrics that I know that I tend to then sing along with. As long as that's fine, I can do any type of music. It can be hard thumping, you know, heavy metal type things all the way to a Beethoven or something along that line. Tim, on the other hand. No way.
0: Silence. Why? Uh, it is, for me, music is a distraction. When I'm listening to music, that's what I want to do. I actually want to listen to music. I don't want to uh, to be doing something else that just distracts me from music. That's I would a rather heavy do,
2: approach, I just, though, isn't it? <laughs> you, want to, you, want, you want to take the music seriously is that is that the idea no Continue. i don't i don't necessarily need to well i don't feel
0: like i need to take it seriously as much as i just want to take it i want to take it in and just and just enjoy it for whatever for whatever you music didn't is there. It didn't mean. Uh, i want to enjoy the experience he's, and he's snobby that's all. He's
1: it, it, just a snob. He's a music snob. And he he is like, I, I have to listen to the music as much as I can. And, oh, I don't you want to be doing something like else.
2: Too much. Is that part of your character, your makeup, is that you think too much?
1: <laughs> you should be a psychologist. This is so
2: perfect.
0: <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm just going to have to plead the fifth on that because you otherwise.
2: Much, don't you? Uh, did you grow up in a big family, perhaps?
0: Yeah, number I'm the number three child that was could have been a a I was the in the middle that was also uh, the youngest for, for many years and was also the oldest for many years. There so you go. Sit. I'm completely fucked up.
2: Lie down here on my purple chaise long. We can talk through this. Look, <laughs> look. <laughs> Clearly you've you've wanted to be listened to for a long time. And the way you feel like you can be listened to is when there's silence all around. So that. The person is focused on you. In return, because you're a generous human being, you want to be able to listen to either someone or something and give it the respect it deserves because that's the respect you want.
0: What's your hourly rate?
2: 500.
0: Oh boy, Tim! You are going to be deep in debt. Oh man! Oh, uh, Chris, you 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 nailed it. The short story is you you absolutely nailed it. Yeah, I'm a musician, you know. So Uh I, you know, and and guess what? I don't like to play uh, loud, noisy bars. I like to play quiet
2: listening rooms. Right. So when you say you're a musician, what do you play?
0: Uh, I'm guitar is my main instrument, and I you know play. Uh, americana type stuff and get out and i play you know 30 to 50 shows a year
2: so you the sort who writes lists of the 20 best guitar solos of all time (laughs) no no i'm not
0: that (laughs) no really Yeah, really. No, I write songs, you know, I, I write music and I perform that, but no, I don't, I don't really care about who's got the best guitar solo or who who was the best singer
2: because the best guitar solos can make you feel something without you having to think about it.
0: Uh, agreed. Oh, I, I completely agree. It, it, it doesn't have to be an intellectual ex- exercise. And, and it, I've rationalized to myself that music is not an intellectual exercise. I actually believe that it is an emotional exercise. It's a south of the shoulders experience, not a north of the shoulders experience. Right. When I'm experiencing it, when I'm writing it, then it's a north of the shoulders experience.
2: Ah. And when you're writing it, you want silence as well, presumably, because if you have music playing, that will mess up what you're writing. Completely. Yes. (laughs) I I am, I am
1: enjoying this so much. You guys don't even understand that the you
0: two going back and forth on this. I'm loving this. What what that means, Chris, is that this is ammunition for
2: Kurt. That's what that means. (laughs) (laughs) What you you say you listen to any kinds of music, but there's no particular kind of music that inspires you to be poetic if you're ever in the poetic frame of mind or?
1: Yeah. Poetry is probably not one of those things uh, more lyrically comprised. You know, that's a good question. I haven't really done analysis. If anybody should be the rational overthinking person, it should be me. But on this, yeah. this aspect, it is not. And so I tend to, I tend to go to eighties, uh, new wave to kind of more uh, alternative just lower amp kind of, uh, music guitar based here. But that's, that's where my just general liking goes. And so if that's going on in the background and I'm, I'm getting in the groove and I'm thinking, you know, and I'm writing or I'm having to, to do something like that, it, it helps me. So that's that it, it would have to be music. You like that's a good question. I'm not sure. I I haven't tried with music I haven't liked. So there you go.
2: uh, They'll be playing some old crap on the speakers and you want to sit and work. Will that, you know, affect you or not negatively or positively?
1: Mm, I,
0: you know, that's a good question. I am not sure. How about you, Chris? Can, can, can you listen to any old crap or do you want Pink Floyd? Do you want the echoes, uh, you know, the instrumental stuff or, uh, or could you, could you listen to dark side of the moon or could you listen to, uh, uh the wall Coldplay? Cold yeah. <laughs>
2: cold <play. laughs> yeah. That would make me so miserable. Mind you, sometimes it's good to write when you're miserable, right? Um, <laughs> I, I would prefer instrumental. I think I don't want to be distracted by, by words. So essentially, at least mostly instrumental would be would be my preferred. But often, yeah, I, I'll I'll write in silence too. I have to be in the right mood to ha- want to have the music in the background. So hmm. it's not like it's a consistent. Because come on, I mean, you know, one people are moody, aren't they? Well, I think so.
0: Most I, people are. Yeah. Yeah. We go through our moods. So. Yeah, we wouldn't be humans if we weren't, right? I mean, isn't well, that kind of what makes us different? Yeah, you, you know, from everything else, right?
2: You trees hope. aren't
0: tree. Yeah, trees aren't moody. You know, I don't, I know. don't know that birch <laughs> up back
2: is
1: pretty damn moody.
2: <laughs> Some of my wife's plants are moody as hell. <laughs> we go away for three days. She comes back and they're sulking. And then it's all for them. She gives them a drink or two, which is pretty much how she deals with me half the time when I'm moody. You know. <laughs> So <laughs> I, think, I think she she kind of has it ingrained. <laughs> but yeah, who knows what their books are. We don't know how they express them, that's all.
1: If it works for Chris, it should work for my plants. There yeah, you go. <laughs> <absolutely>. <laughs>
2: all
1: right, Chris, you wrote an article for Inc., uh, just a short one that was called uh, This is the Incredible Number of Hours That You Should Work According to a Study of 70,000 People. Basically, the study looked at all these people and that were unemployed and then their happiness levels and various different things and it came out that it was about eight hours a week for men 20 hours a week for women what's your take on that does that mean should we all just you know cut down to part-time work and and go from there what do you think
2: wouldn't a lot of us prefer to just cut down to part-time work I would I mean, love to have you you've never had done part-time work
1: not you've- not professional not since I be, you know, got a full-time job. No. Well,
2: why, why, why haven't you decided decided to sacrifice some of your money grabbing tendencies in order to be happier? And you'd be happier, according to this research, if you worked only for eight hours a week, you know, you could get all the work out in one day and have six days off. I mean, can you switch off on, on vacation?
1: Mm, not very, not very easily. You need to be gone for quite a long time.
2: What's quite a long time? It's more than eight hours, isn't
1: it? It is definitely more than eight hours.
2: So, uh, how, what, what do you call quite a long time on vacation? So,
1: so on vacation, oh, going okay. going on vacation to really shut down. I need I need two to three weeks. So, wow. Yeah. Wow.
2: Well, how so about you,
0: Chris? Or do you, do you do you jump off the grid quickly?
2: You know, I, it's, I've been sort of in a, in a non corporate job for so long now, just doing my own thing that when I travel, I write, but sometimes I don't think of it as work. Oh. Because sometimes writing a column is a little bit like writing an email to someone you really like, at least if you're me. That's how I do, you know, it's, I'm almost like talking to people who I hope will like the fact that I've emailed them. And there's sort of three or four of them. (laughs) (laughs) And and so for me, sometimes when I'm away, um, when I work, I work in a very concentrated manner um, so that I, the actual physical act of writing, mm-hmm. I do very quickly. And you might tell me it shows, maybe you see typos, I don't know. But the physical acts, I, I do very quickly because I, I couldn't sit and write something for more than 40 minutes. Okay. Um, cause uh, no, it, it, but the form of being a columnist allows you to do that because the form is a bit like a single. If you remember those old 45s, that Tim does that's, but that's kind of the form. The form is something that you just try to occupy two minutes and 20 seconds. God, that would be great every time of someone's day. And that's it. You're not trying to occupy 8 10 hours or whatever um and so i suppose that yeah at some other time obviously i wish I, yeah i could switch off if i never had to do anything again could i switch off very quickly yeah
1: but you find so myself like doing these podcasts for, for me is, is not work. This is fun. This is, these are things that, that I get enjoyment. I get to talk to people like you and other people that, you know, just stimulate and are fun. And we tend to laugh most of the time. Um, Except for when Tim's in one of his moods. So (laughs) then we, then we don't.
2: Yeah, because you don't pay him enough attention, Kurt. We have music going on and. ah. Don't you understand what drives him? You know, I, you know time thank to understand you. what drives your friends. And, you know, that's what drives him. You need to give him unique, un- totally committed attention. What the hell is that? Oh. That's Tim. No, it, no? no, it's me. There, oh. gone. <laughs> gone. It comes to for right. some reason. Yes, you need to give him undivided attention. That's all. Yeah, well, it would
0: be so much better, Kurt. <laughs>
2: <laughs> How long have you guys known each other?
1: Um, eight, ten years, yeah, somewhere in there. Bunch we've, of years. We've, we've 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 been working together for about two. And so when, on, on this,
2: which bar did you meet him?
1: Uh, no, we met at we we met through work. So Tim worked at a company that I often did consulting work um, for, and so we we did some joint
0: work together. And then um, I don't know. And then then I left that job and uh, I I knew that Kurt had a a successful consulting uh, business Mm -hmm. and I was going to set up a consulting business. So I went to all the successful consultants that I knew to say, what do you do? How does it work? And in that first conversation, my recollection is that we, we did talk about what makes a successful consulting business, but we also quickly started dreaming about, well, what could we do together? And, the podcast did not come up, but a meetup was actually uh, in our original discussion. Like, let's expand the community of people interested in behavioral sciences.
2: That sounds nerdy. It is. It's very, <laughs> very nerdy.
1: But we we made a meetup where you got to go and you got to socialize and drink and have some, you know, a little bit of food and you hear a talk and different things. And then we decided, hey, this is so so much fun. And we got some cool speakers coming in. Why don't we do a podcast just to expand even even greater and and thus, here we are. This Seventy-five is episodes later. Seventy-five episodes later, talking with yeah. you. <laughs>
2: you we, this company was like a rewards company, right? Yes. yeah,
1: yeah. Bi Worldwide is, uh, is an old. research
2: now. There you go. You spent seventeen years at a rewards company. Don't you think, that's that, Tim? Don't you think that's consistent with your, you know, neurological behavior generally? That, you know, you want to give people rewards so they pay attention to you back because you've given them something. It seems <laughs> <You're> perfectly <laughs> obvious to me.
1: <laughs> you need to be, you need to go on the circuit and just get people <laughs> laying on a couch, Chris. I am I am loving every second of this, by yes, the way. You
2: guys can be my agents. It's fine. Take, <laughs> your, take your usual... 10% or 4%. <laughs> yeah. And um, I'll happily turn up and we could do it live on stage, you know. We
1: could. We could bring up guests and have them, you know, I like
0: care, Chris, analyze, away. Where, where are you? I forget. Where are you based? Sausalito, where?
2: California. In Sausalito. Okay.
0: We were we were just talking about maybe doing a live event on, on the East Coast, but, um, hmm.
2: Okay. Well, occasionally I appear on the East Coast, you know, it happens. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, <laughs> hell, you're going to be in Minneapolis, so you yeah, do well, yeah, get around. A few years ago, a company asked me to MC a conference on the East Coast, and it was it was a it was an ad tech company. And the <laughs> the people who were going to be speaking were all going to be saying how much they knew about other people. So, how, you know, how clever they were about targeting people and getting information about people to advertise to them. And so the company called Quantcast were actually very good to me because they said, we'll let you do whatever you want on stage. So the first five minutes I kind of abused everybody and said that they'd stopped advertising and they started stalking. And <laughs> what they was well, true, right? And, and then what they didn't know was that I'd researched all the people I interviewed on stage and all the people who even were appearing on stage and I wasn't interviewing them. I'd um, looked up their personal Facebook, Twitter, and social media accounts and found the most embarrassing things I could find, completely legal, you know, it was open, and then, you know, introduced them that way. So, for example, I interviewed a very senior, buttoned-up woman general manager from a very famous tech company, and my first question to her was, uh, so, uh, tell me, uh, how come you're so into cage fighting? (laughs) it's true and then the second question i had was um do you remember what you were doing on december the 15th 2013 oh my gosh at this point her lip was sort of quaking a bit and uh she said no i said well you took a, a test on facebook to test your mental age i said do you remember the result and she said, no. And the result was that her mental age was 19, which kind of, kind of was a strange kind. We all had dinner afterwards and, you know, they could berate me as much as they wanted. But the point that one was trying to make, at least I was trying to make at the time, was that it's great to have these incursions into people's private lives, but you kind of hate it when someone does it to you exactly
1: and we we you know that's an interesting component because you said that you know they're no longer in advertising but they're in this stalking component mm-hmm. yeah and so i mean do you think that's the case today in in all the online advertising component do you think that's where they're going is that the
2: way I the market is all, headed all the debates right now about privacy hinge on look facebook and google are not social media companies they're not search companies they're advertising companies. They make their money out of advertising. Given that painful truth, and it's a painful truth because we've allowed them to do it, right? Mm-hmm. We've, we've given them happily every piece of data, not even thinking what they're doing with it, how they're using it, where they're storing it, who they're showing it to. We haven't thought about that at all, right? Well, so yes, effectively what they're doing is they stalk us night and day, even apps well, that you've switched off or even deleted are still finding ways to follow you around. And they're targeting you with stuff. One of the biggest fears I have, and I don't know about you guys, but I have con- I have friends who've also talked about this, but I have conversations with someone. And then not too long afterwards, I'll see an ad that's bizarrely relevant to a conversation I've had that wasn't even online.
1: Mm-hmm. Ooh. We've, we we Ooh. actually were talking with somebody about that that yeah. uh, that very component of of how do they get that information and the, how is it being used and the ethics around
0: all be, all the stuff behind that yeah and so That's it's true and well the, my my question is what's the alternative what wh- what is the alternative I mean how do you stop how can you stop giving all of your information to anybody
2: theoretically if you go on these sites there's a way to start stopping it. But it's what they do is they put the onus on you to do it. You mm-hmm. can go into the settings and begin to block third parties. You can block all kinds of things, even the squadcast that we're talking on now. I blocked certain things that they wouldn't allow them to do. Right? They wanted my location. They want you know you can do it. They're now becoming a little more open about how you can do it because they see regulation coming, and that when you talk to any startups here in Silicon Valley the one person who is they need most on the team and they're always desperate to find is someone who is conversant with ethics and with privacy law ramifications those people are gold dust they can charge millions of dollars an hour to startups right now because the startups know that some of this stuff is coming just like gdpr has come in europe yeah they know it's coming of some kind the likelihood is the lobbyists for Amazon, Facebook, and Google will water down the legislation so much that it may not make much difference, but they're afraid that they'll fall foul of it. And so they're desperately trying to find these people who, you know, if you're if you're someone who's into privacy legislation, you can make a fortune in the valley right now.
1: Do you think there's a, a market for the, the duck-duck-goes of the world that are specifically targeting that that privacy component and saying look we are we are your search engine but all of your information nothing gets taken we don't do anything like that we do advertising but it's just on your keyword searches and so that's that's the only thing and then that information is gone as soon as after that I, i'm i'm wondering i i switched over to using that as opposed to google But I did that because I just wanted to fuck with Google. Because now I go on Google the only time is I I put in weird stuff um, and and only those crazy things, and then the rest of my searches go through through the other.
2: And then I'm not sure. Lots of online ads for various perversions, and you wonder, (laughs) like, why is this? (laughs) (laughs) How did this occur? Yeah, Apple is 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 trying to differentiate itself precisely along those lines. Okay, claiming. And, and, and I think we should underline claiming because it's, you know, it's your iPhone is not as private as Apple claims it is. <laughs> but it is trying to differentiate itself as a brand and make it part of its brand values that it protects your privacy in some way. Mm-hmm. Google and Facebook and the rest, honestly, they have no respect for privacy whatsoever. They're merely talking it right now because they fear legislation. They fear if the wrong government or simply the wrong individual gets a hold of writing the legislation, then it could affect their business. But that's what they care about, their business, sadly. Is
0: there any reason for millennials who have grown up in the eye of every social media, of everything being public, of winning every award every time there is some kind of contest, uh, would they care? Would they even give a shit about
2: uh, privacy? I think some of them are getting there, um, but I think it's a—it's not – just I think millennials, maybe it's too late for them. It's the generation that comes after them. I th- you've got to remember that the priorities for generations change, and for that generation, when they become more serious because climate change be- begins to affect them more than anybody, mm-hmm. perhaps that will change. Perhaps there will be much more of a groundswell – of responsibility, however you want to define responsibility, whether it's personal or social or whatever, um, that will then mm, perhaps make people care more, right? Yeah. Even if you tell people what happens half the time they go, yeah. Okay.
1: We need to get we need to get you to introduce them on stage and then they'll
0: feel the real ramifications of how this works. So
2: never let it happen. (laughs) (laughs) Wasn't wasn't
0: uh, Zuckerberg in a Senate uh, committee meeting where he got asked about some personal information and he said, I'd rather not share that. Exactly. I mean, one of the senators dressed him down.
2: Of of course. He builds walls around his compound. I mean, you know, he buys houses around his so no one can look through his window. (laughs) It's it's the hypocrisy. I mean, this started very early on. Ironically, CNET wrote something about Eric Schmidt when he became whatever he was of Google CEO, right? And he didn't. Then what they did was they went through Google searches and to find stuff out about him. He got so upset that, from my recollection, he actually banned CNET for a year. <laughs> wow! It may be my, my mistaken recollection, but I'm pretty sure he uh, he. He got so upset. Let me just check this right now before you know he gets sued. But yeah, he, he was not happy. Um, uh, and see now, Let's see. Uh, oh, it's so I can't, can't can't even find it right now. So you might have to cut that. And, out.
1: and are you using Google to look that search up?
2: I <laughs> <laughs> Here we go, I found it. Uh, it was two thousand and five, and. Google blackballed online technology technology news service cnetnews.com for Googling Eric Schmidt, CEO of the Mountain View company, and including some personal information about him in a story last month. <laughs> Google told a CNET editor it will not speak with CNET reporters until August 2006. <laughs> As, um, as
1: we talked about at the very beginning, we are all human and we have these irrational components yeah. of, ooh, you know, you push me, I'm going to push you harder. There you go.
2: But that addresses precisely the question we talked about earlier, which is, you know, the guys who are creating these companies, they don't get there. Yeah. They simply don't get there. Their brains work in such a way that they don't get to that part. How can this have been a surprise to him? Yeah. You know, he, came, and nothing that the reporter did was in any way other than she put his name in the search bar, found out what he, who he was, found he was. out
0: all sorts of information. Yeah. About him. Well, we wor- working with CNET. Do you get to
2: see a lot of new products? I do, I do ZDNet now. CNET was 10 years. Um, and now it's owned by CBS, but it's a different site. ZDNet. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, but do you get to see a lot of products? No, uh, well, I do I do it my own way. So if I want to look at a product, I, I go buy it. So that it's I will I don't accept you know freebies from someone else. Um, if I want to write about like I've been writing a lot about my MacBook Air lately because the M key stopped working. I it's one of the worst products Apple's ever made, the, the latest MacBooks, because the keys kept sticking and refusing to work. And um, you know I went into a couple of Apple stores to ask about this, and they said no, there's no problem at all. And Apple insisted, no, there's no problem Well, Then they said, well, maybe there's a few people. And then, well, maybe we'll redesign the keyboard. And now they're redesigning the keyboard all over again. But how does that impact you? You still have a faulty product. Well, you know, I found my way around it, which not knowing what the result would be, but I just kept bashing the M key till literally it came back to life. And then (laughs) I was hitting that thing so hard. And not not hoping for anything because it was malfunctioning, right? You had to really hit it hard to even, you know, make it work at all. Whereas for some other people and some, you know, famous columnists and what have you, they were finding that the keys were, you know, randomly just not working at all. The space bar wasn't working properly. And when I went to Apple store, they said, no, 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 this is impossible because we put an extra layer of film under each key. Well, you know, the extra layer of film still apparently lets, you know, bits of croissant through and... <laughs> You know, black blueberry scone or whatever, which allegedly is why these keyboards aren't working. So Apple is currently redesigning it all over again. It's kind of entertaining. So, yeah, no, I I buy my own stuff. And if I want to test something, I'll just test it and tell you what I think. I'm not a tech expert. I don't claim to be a tech expert.
0: Do do you like to uh do you like to uh, you, you like to dress down, you know, you like to, you know, poke fun at people? Do you like to go out and get products that you think you can have a little uh a little uh, poke the bear or do you tend to look at uh, are you interested in buying products and testing that you think wow, this could be really cool. I want to I think,
2: I think both. I think, you know, sometimes you you, <laughs> you I I use stuff as part of my work. So all these, you know, laptops or phones or whatever I buy, you know, I use Whereas some other things, occasionally you'll see PR releases waft across uh, your screen. For example, the other day I saw something. They were offering a – they wanted uh, to send samples of a leather-bound lunchbox. Leather-bound lunchbox. I think it was a leather-bound lunchbox specially for tech types. (laughs) For tech (laughs) types? I I mean, honestly, I can't even – it was something along those lines. So, of course, I've asked for one. Uh, Is is it like –
0: it is it mean, $250 yeah, or $500? I'm
2: guessing, I'm guessing it's like a sort of Gucci lunchbox. I, mean, I, I have no idea. So, you know, occasionally that sort of stuff will appear across my screen. And I might occasionally ask for one of those just so I can see what it is, because usually it's pre-launch. And, um, yeah. So, but no, in the end, readers, readers know whether it's just being objective or not. And I don't want to, you know, I don't want to, I'm not in anybody's pocket. Thankfully, don't have to be so, you know, if I see something, I'll write about it and just say what I think and for what that's worth, which is usually very little, but hopefully a laugh. If, if <laughs> you know, Honestly, if you get just one laugh out of a column, yeah, I'm grateful.
1: So you wrote, going back to some of this component that we were just talking about, uh, you wrote another thing about where Bill, Great, Bill Gates was talking about the whole, the, and the, I think there was a meme about, about this where here were all the things that could kill you. Here, you know, by percentages and you know, cardiovascular and cancer and all these things are up there, and and then here are all the things that get um, media, you know, focuses in on. And he wrote about the the way we think and how bad that is and how media does that. And then uh, you wrote this really fun. You 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 quoted Elon Musk on the on the back end where he just wrote this tweet back: "Say fear and memes get clicks." <laughs> and um, so w- and what he do you think is going to win in the end?
2: But, but Elon Musk himself uses fear. I quoted yeah. in that, that article uh, a, a tweet he sent out about how, you know, if we don't have all the tech brains on America's side, there's going to be World War III, right? Because yeah. World War III will be all about who has the best nerds, which is kind of kind of like a war I want to see. It's, it's one I don't necessarily want <laughs> to want to participate in but isn't it a war you'd like to see a 100% nerd war where we don't have to send you know real human beings that we like into war that it's all going to be conducted by nerds I there's something delicious about that I mean it'd be sort of musty TV if we could be watching it on screens and not be impacted about it by it at all and it would just be like world nerd war I'm, 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 Kind of fun, wouldn't it? That would be uh,
0: count me in. I'd, that I'd, would be a blast. I do the pay per view on that one.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it'd be like a world heavyweight fight, wouldn't it? Yeah.
0: yeah all right, um, and in this corner, <laughs>
1: <laughs> weighing it at one hundred and twenty-two pounds, the
2: nerds. yeah, <laughs> with the big
1: glasses, they've Here we been
2: go. Carved for three weeks. Now they're ready to rumble, yeah. <laughs> oh no wait, it's their stomach that's rumbling
1: <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's what it is. Wait, oh, but their fingers are tired <laughs> from typing so fast <laughs> there we go e- exactly
0: yeah. well you know, do you i I think about uh the way that you your worldview, basically uh is is informed by sort of a sense of irony, right? is mm-hmm. that
2: a, a little bit yeah,. yeah a little when yeah. we've got no, no real answers, we might as well be ironic, right? Yeah. Well, how did you come to that? Oh, God. Uh, let me lie down on my own purple chaise long right now. It's a, it was a way of dealing growing up. I mean, you know, we all find ways as kids of dealing with whatever surrounds us. And I guess, however, I, I grew up in one culture uh, at home. Outside, there was a second culture that was the culture of our enemies, and so I grew up in a Polish culture. My parents were survivors from Siberian labor camps and mm. it, it's the labor camps that get fewer movies made about because it was on the Eastern side and somehow that isn't as glamorous or as interesting or something. And it, you know, there were a lot of people suffered on, on that side. And so they were refugees uh, shipped to England. They couldn't speak English and they believed England had sold us out at Yalta. And so the English, we didn't even allow English people in the house. It was wow. a, quite a strange way to grow up. So, yeah, irony. Um, <laughs> you see what I'm saying. I mean, naturally, uh, my way of dealing, and I was the younger of two children, and that was my way of dealing with the world, and I guess I haven't got out the habit. Um, we all have our little habits, just like you, Tim. You have your please-pay-attention-to-me habit. And... Uh, <laughs> So, I'm going
1: to use that so right. much.
2: So I, I, guess, I guess that was just my way of dealing with it, and, and it becomes kind of part of you. Um, I, I don't have a great explanation for it, but it's the best I can. You know, it's weird growing up with one language at home, another language outside, and complete emotional opposites. So Poles are very emotional, very warm, and the Brits, well... I see you shaking your head, Kurt. What do you mean by that?
1: (laughs) (laughs) We we know a few Brits, and they're very very reserved. You do not show you the emotion out on top. So,
2: uh, so uh, being being out in the outside world was a bit strange compared to what was at home. In the end, you know, I, I found I thought the best way out of it, which was just to leave the country. And so that's what I did. And so I've lived in lots of different places because there's never going to be a place called home. And, uh, you know, you just live in different, and of course, you know, I've lived in different places where what you call, what I might call irony, was received somewhat differently in different countries. So I lived in Singapore for a while and, you know, irony was was, how can I put this, not as obviously observed <laughs> as it might, might have been in Poland or in other cities, you know. How have you found America? Uh, honestly, <laughs> the reason I moved here was to watch sports, as you call it. One of the first American words I learned was sports. There were two words I learned when I came to America. One was, hi, <laughs> what the hell is that? And then the other one was sports, not sport sports and i used to love watching nfl and um and nba when i lived in europe and other places in fact i used to get vhs videos when i lived in singapore of nfl games and they had to go through the censors so the censors office would 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 send me an email or whatever it was in those days and say um we've got your video our censors will be going through it you know looking for naked flesh or something or a swear word, perhaps, you know, and, and then I'd pick up the VHS video a couple of days later, you'd go to the censor office and, and pick it up. And I used to love it. And so I used to travel to America a lot. And, uh, and then one day, um, you know, I lived in Poland for five years before I moved to California. And so I'd suddenly discovered I had a lot of seasonal affective disorder. Mm. Um, because it doesn't get light there. I mean, you have the same issue, I'm sure, in, in, in Minneapolis. Yeah.
1: And, uh, summertime is great. Wintertime.
2: Mm, yeah, but no. your summertime is like three weeks, right? So <laughs> oh, I I've been here in January. That was rough. So I moved here partly for sort of mental health reasons, really. I mean, just to live in sunshine, something I'd never done other than in Singapore, which was just unbearable because of the humidity. And so I moved here. I got offered a job here as an executive creative director of an ad agency, And, you know, I've generally, California is incredibly enjoyable. Um, The weather does a lot for your mood, you know. It does a hell of a lot for your mood. I think it's one of the underrated environmental effects is how weather affects the way people feel and think and stuff like that. So, uh, you know, nowhere is home. I'm a big Giants fan. I'm a big Warriors fan. Ergo, I'm in big depression right now. And, you know, I, I, I go to even local baseball games here, something called the Pacific Association League. It's okay. like it's like the basement of professional baseball. You cannot go lower than this. <laughs> it, 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 but it's great fun. And occasionally you'll have players come through who, you know, got to AAA for the Brewers or whatever and never made it. And then yep. they are. And so, you know, I've, I've kind of hopefully been – reason be accepted into, into American culture as much as it will. So, you know, so out. going
1: back and, and not to make your depression any worse, but do you think, <laughs> do you think the Warriors could have won if KD wasn't injured? Or do you think they would have been able to pull it across? Do you think oh, so? Of course.
2: I mean, come on. I, I actually love the fact that it was the Raptors that won because I think they're a genuinely decent, nice, you know, they're not Houston. so how can you not admire that they won right and uh good luck to them they'd never won before if it was going to be anybody it might as well have been them but please don't try and sell me that if clay and steph and durant had been there that the warriors wouldn't have won because the warriors would have won but it's fine i'm not bitter (laughs) You know, we've done a lot of winning ever since I moved here, pretty much. We've done a lot of winning here. We've had three World Series. We've been to the NBA Finals five times. And my San Rafael Pacifics have won the league a couple of times, that Pacific. (laughs) Believe me, last year when my wife and I actually went up to Sonoma to see them play the Sonoma Stompers. The Sonoma Stompers. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They have very inventive names for baseball teams here. So – yeah, and the final was there was fisticuffs between fans, but the atmosphere in the end, we we got some pitcher for the last month of the season who used to pitch for the Brewers, fifteen strikeouts, didn't give up a run. We won it six to nothing. It was a it was a beautiful evening and decent <laughs> autumn, you know?
1: And so you're, you're not claiming that you caused this by moving no. there, but it's just a correlation. So,
2: Look, I'm so like, you want to move,
1: you want to move to Minnesota? Cause you can help my Timberwolves out who have, have not had any luck whatsoever. So I don't know about
2: luck, they've not had much judgment. I'm not sure <laughs> the owner, you know, your owner isn't, isn't the greatest owner on earth. I would agree with that.
1: <laughs> I would agree plan, 100% I'm sure. with that.
2: And I'll happily have dinner with him next week, but, um, you know, I'm <laughs> not sure you've had the best judgment. And it's tough because when Joe Laker first came in the Warriors, the fans hated him. Oh. Oh, oh God, because in the first year, they booed him. They, he traded away Monte Ellis. Yeah. We got Andrew Bogut, who was permanently mm-hmm. injured, we thought. And what, what Laker has done to build a great team is extraordinary. I mean, you know, he's a Silicon Valley type, unfortunately, but what he did in order to create something special, of course now it's ruined because they're moving from Oakland to San Francisco. Yeah. And that's going to be tough to create an atmosphere in the city is going to be tough because it's going to be rich people. And, you know, the, I used to, the minute I arrived in California, I, I started going to Warriors games in the days of Vontigo Cummings at point. Ooh, Cummings, If you remember Vontigo.
1: You lived through some of the, you yeah. lived like kind of me and, and my I mean, Timberwolves here.
2: <laughs> I mean, we had Evie Claxton. We had a Donald Foyle. I mean, these were some of the greats. You know, we traded for people like Mikhail Petrus and <laughs> the number one draft pick. Mikhail Petrus was our number one. Todd Fuller, remember him? I don't. Um, <laughs> we had some great number one draft picks. And, uh, First rounders that, you know, would not be in you know any team you choose. So you'd be able to go there. You'd get a ticket for like five bucks. And I'm not kidding. It was five bucks to go. Everyone there pretty much were local people, local Oakland people, amazing characters. They knew the team was crap. 16,000 would still turn out.
0: Yeah. And they, the, they love they the game and absolutely. they love the team.
2: And yeah. And to rip that away from them. Now, even the last couple of years since the team became successful, I would say seat prices have gone up. Oh, fourfold, fivefold from what they used to be. And now you get a rich crowd and mm. the rich crowd just isn't as committed. Doesn't really know how to be a fan half the time. I mean, you know, for me, a definition of a fan, for example, I used, my wife and I love sitting sit in the same section all the time, section 109. There used to be a guy at the back of the section. Every time the opposition scored, he would shout from the back of the section. So what? We don't care. <laughs> And he would do it every time, and it became like this beautiful rhythmic chant. He's gone. Last couple yeah. of years, he's not. He's not there anymore. Oh,
0: so, so you're missing that, I think, right? Oh,
2: absolutely. I will miss it when they move to the Chase Center in in this year. It's for next season. It's not going to be the same. Yeah, no. it'll be very slick, but I don't think it'll be characterful. Which is a pity.
1: And and it, as you said, you like that human component. That's the part that you find as you know, at the beginning, you're talking, look, we're humans. I want to talk to the I wanna to talk to the waitress. I wanna find out like interesting things that are more interesting oh, than the you, life I live, right? You
2: can find out stuff about people just by asking them and not doing it like as we would say in England, a wanker. I mean you <laughs> just if you <laughs> I just find it more interesting. And you find out stuff about what they do in real life. For example, I was in Chicago last weekend. We at a lovely restaurant called Royster, which is a Grant Ackerts restaurant. It's it's loud. They play metal. The food is Michelin star. And, you know, we discovered our server was actually a class, had studied classical trumpet. <laughs> and her thing, she was now, I hope no one at the restaurant listens because she hasn't quit yet. But she's now going to go and try and pursue her career in Nashville. Yeah. And just, seriously, just ask. Just sort of, you know, she's there to do a job. You're in a restaurant. Just sort of enjoy the experience. Look, by the end of the evening, the chefs wanted to have fun with us because my wife was headbanging to the music.
0: <laughs>
2: and, and, and the chef, it was an open kitchen. The chefs were coming out to talk to us and saying, oh, I've seen you've been headbanging. And we said, well, who cooked our salmon? Because it was perfect. And he points to one of the chefs. And the chef was the spitting image of Harry Connick Jr. And so, oh, my gosh. And so for the rest of the evening, the chef became Harry Connick Jr. And so all yeah. the other chefs were calling him Harry Connick Jr. And we, it, it, it's fun, right? It, yeah, it, that's fun. It's fun just to talk to people. And so she, when, we, when you start talking to her about you know, studying classical trumpet, how hard it is to get an orchestra job, and that's supposed to be the pinnacle, um, she was talking about how much she struggled, how tough it was, and that she was going to, she still was young enough to go give it a go. It's brilliant. I mean, it's a wonderful story of a, a human being who wants to go out and do something.
0: You know? So, if it's so much fun to talk to other people, why are so many people afraid to talk to each other?
2: Uh, I, where is the first question? I mean, look, America from the outside, and I can, you know, count as an outsider to every culture. <laughs> at least I choose to. And, um, you know, America is a very individualistic society. It's, it's something de Tocqueville observed when he was writing about America. So mm-hmm. it, it's, a, it's a very individualistic society. It's about I and me a lot. And, you know, America for years, if you love sports, sports um, was struggling, If, for example, at the Olympics. How many times did the dream teams get beaten by Puerto Rico? They lost to Puerto Rico, to Argentina. Because for those countries, the culture of being a team is different. It's just different. And I think it affects business too. I think, you know, business, too often I found in the corporate world, was about the higher up you went in advertising, the less it was about advertising. And the more it was how mm. you could shaft someone else to get their job. So mm. it was literally and, – and people would do stuff. And I would sit next. I'm too naive to – realize what's going on you know i'm sitting in manhattan in a wonderful office looking out over macy's and i don't realize that it took me a long time to even see that this was all about corporate politics and um you know people were were saying things about me that were patently untrue but you know it was going to work because someone else would believe it and they would tell stories about that's yeah so i think partly it's that it's the individualism i I think we we some extent don't really know how to do it i think quite often yeah i and a european will tell you this you know when you meet an american the first thing they do is tell you everything about themselves within the first 10 minutes mm. and it's a habit and it's it's you know it's it's something they do we so do. american citizen now but let's say we
1: there we go so do you do you talk to people on planes when you sit next to somebody on a plane do you start no. up a conversation with them
2: yeah no. now i have i have playing principles do you have playing principles i think i My plain principles are I'll never open my laptop, never have any gadget. I'll read a book, paper book. Don't even trust your Kindle. It just looks ugly. You don't want to touch one of those things. Um, Yeah, read a book. And occasionally you might find someone who wants to talk to you, and then you sort of exercise your judgment about whether there's someone you kind of feel like talking to or not.
1: Well, and that's that's my fear. Is my fear is that if I start a conversation, it's going to be that the one person that wants to talk is the person. Oh my God, I don't want to get. It. I, I don't want to hear about all your problems and all your issues and everything else that happened to your mother in law ten years ago, and now your hangnail is bothering you and everything else. And so, I, I, I do believe I have missed plenty of really good conversations because I will start talking to somebody when we touch down right and then it's just like oh i got another 10 minutes here i can i can survive 10 minutes with anybody that's the safe zone It's the safe zone and so then you know, oh that was good and so and you I've and you go oh you would have way. been fascinating to talk to you I've would have
2: never, been perfect i never thought about it that way but you see the problem you have especially in, when you're flying in the back of the bus is they're moving us closer and closer together where the seats are so much narrower you've got no leg room they're making you feel as uncomfortable as possible, and either the person next to you smells good or they don't. Yes. And they don't, you—I personally hope I have a window seat because I can lean as far as possible towards <laughs> the window. Um, you know, you can't do that in the aisle seat because the trolley will—you know—smash your ear off. Um, but.
1: Yeah, but you a, can get up and leave to they go to the yeah, bathroom yeah. like multiple times. Lots of, lots of times. Absolutely.
2: Yeah. But, you know, sometimes you can strike up random conversations and those people become your friends. That's it's true. certainly happens to, to us where, you know, we've met people in restaurants or at some event and you start talking for no reason other than they're sitting next to you. And, and before you know it, you find each other entertaining and you have dinner together again.
1: Well, and sometimes I think for me, I also wonder in those kind of situations, does that person want to be there are times when I don't want to be bothered. I just want, I'm, I'm, I'm in my yeah. own mood or whatever. And so dude, that's yeah. like me imposing my will upon them and it's not necessarily this open invitation. And so sometimes I wonder of like, don't strike start that conversation because I I'm being concerned for, for their welfare as opposed to, to, to me.
0: Yeah. So. Why, why couldn't it be socially acceptable if you, if, if you and I were sitting next to each other and you said, uh, hey, what are you reading? And I said, you know, thanks for asking. I'm just not really interested in having a conversation right now. That's an interesting name for a book.
2: Because <laughs> <laughs> that sounds too direct and bold, and you know, we, you're you a jerk. Find, <laughs> you want to find you want to find subtler ways to do it.
0: Uh, uh, give Give us an example.
2: Well, if someone asks you what book you're reading, no, no, like wants how you to strike up a conversation, conversation. Yeah. yeah. But it, it, it was depends what, how that com- how that person has talked to you. You, you can find ways. It's the tone in which you use. You know, you can sort of grunt at them in a just about polite way, but it's a grunt, and they perceive it as a grunt. And so you don't need to say, I am grunting at you.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, I do find that actually with, with Lyft and Uber drivers, right? I, I don't know. I, di- I didn't strike up conversations with taxi drivers. For some reason, I feel different with Lyft and Uber drivers. And so I will really? almost always ask them, oh, how is your day going? Is it busy? Different things. And if they, you can tell pretty soon if they engage or they don't engage. Right. And if they don't engage, I'm fine. That's it. Yeah. I've asked my two or three questions, and now I'm just gonna I'm gonna go and do my own thing. Otherwise, I've had we've had some great
0: conversations about you know blues playing. Met, met a jazz bass player driving an Uber in Pittsburgh. It was great. Had a fabulous I, conversation with that. guy. I talked NBA
1: for you know a good thirty minutes with one of my guys. It was awesome. So yeah,
2: my, my wife has a brilliant way to start a conversation with an Uber driver. As she gets in the in the car. Her first words are always, thank you for picking us up. Yeah. And it actually just, I don't know why she does it or how, why she, she does it all the time. And it's a marvelous way of setting the tone because she sets the tone of, I'm not a wanker, right? Thank not, you. Yeah. And it's, it's, I find it quite brilliant. And so often when we're in a Uber or Lyft or whatever, we end up having interesting conversations. Although I've got to say, the guy who drove us to the airport, the Lyft driver on Sunday Oh, boy. He he played electronic dance music loud, didn't even ask us whether we wanted it on or not, um, and then proceeded to talk to himself. (gasps) Oh. And I think, well, both of us kind of figured that he was on something. Mm. And um, the biggest danger came when he said, I'm going to take a shortcut. Oh, no. Uh Yeah, it was a bit freaky. But we got there in the end. In the end, we got there, that.
0: but that's creepy, though. That's creepy. Yeah,
2: because you don't know what to do, right? Yeah, you just don't know what to do.
1: No. Yeah, those situations. We have talked music throughout, yeah. but Tim, you oh, usually yeah, totally. end these whole conversations with some musical question. Are you
0: are you there? Or are you good? No, I I, I, I loved um, everything that we talked about, but you, well, I, I will ask this: you reference Pink Floyd you know, pretty significantly, you know, what, what, what do you listen to when you like to listen or do you like to listen to music? And if you do, what do you go to?
2: I don't know what listening to music means. I, cause to me it's about turning it on to create a feeling. So mm. I, if, if I'll go anytime a symphony is playing Beethoven's violin concerto, cause I think it's the greatest piece of music ever written. Um, and I think, you know, to, a violinist, hopefully, could not make a mess of that if they're at some symphony. Presumably, they're good enough to. So that just makes me feel things. Um, uh, as to what do I want? How I really listen? I don't really listen. So, so EDM
1: music though, the electronic dance music yeah, that no? you're Uber player not not no. your thing though, huh? No, doesn't make no. you feel what you want to feel.
2: It doesn't make me feel anything other than a nerd wrote it. <laughs> <laughs>
1: All right, so my six or my thirteen-year-old son, sixteen. Oh my God, i am yeah, really too forward. 13 Thirteen-year-old son and you would not get along. There you go. <laughs> At least not musically. So, yeah,
2: look, my wife
1: likes EDM.
2: Don't get me wrong. I mean, you know, she <laughs> 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 really, me, she'd enjoy it. Uh,
0: Chris, thanks so much. This was yeah. really fun. This All was right. a blast.
2: I had great fun. Really, thank you very much. Gentlemen, thanks, Chris.
0: Pleasure. Thank you. Yeah, thanks, Chris. you thank have, have a good day. You too. All righty Will you be moving your hands around like you always do? Mm -hmm. All right Moving my hands around (laughs) Okay I went to a wedding last
1: night Moved my hands around there Were you grooving there? I was (laughs) grooving On the dance floor Welcome to our grooving session where Tim and I groove on what we heard in our interview, talk about insights that we had, and ramble on about anything else that comes into our nerdy brains. Oh,
0: our nerdy brains.
1: We do. You know, <laughs> he's talking about nerds and like how we become a more nerdy culture and how that has just changed over the last 50 years. What do you think? You think that's true?
0: I think it is true. Although let's, let's trace back. If we think of it's, it's based on technological advancements that have happened in the last, let's say 10 years or 20 years. I think we could also go back to like the middle ages and say, you know, people got a lot nerdier around the, you know, 16th and 17th century with the with the kind of scientific advancements that happened then. Okay. You know, there was an increase in nerdiness when New- Newton's laws came out, right? There was an increase in nerdiness when when it was finally agreed upon that Copernicus and Galileo actually proved to us that the earth revolves around the sun. There was some increase in nerdiness about that, isn't there? So what is the definition of a nerd here? Because <laughs> now I'm, it's like we're
1: becoming more rational. We have become gotten rid of some of these beliefs around things in that 15th or 16th, 17th century. Yeah. I think the nerdiness now is that we, we sit around and we look at our phones and we look at, you know... It's and kind we're, of
0: scientific, isn't it? I mean, the, we're actively engaged. In, I mean... The word app, you know, applications that we have to think about. Uh, I heard somebody say over the weekend, oh, I need to clear the cache in my in my computer. Oh, you know, because like, because we have some knowledge of technology and science. All right, really? I, I would go with that. Okay, but are you thinking that it's it's narrow? So nerdiness in your mind means what? So a nerd to me is somebody who can talk to
1: you know the Marvel universe and down to <laughs> you, you know the 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 smallest minor character and argue with you about why that
0: person should or should not be included in the in in the next movie. Yeah, you know, the, the, the Marvel universe being the Marvel universe of comic book characters. Yeah. <laughs> and movies and
1: all of those, and that kind of component. I guess geek for me would be more of the scientific kind of oh. geeky piece. But that's my interpretation of nerd versus geek. I, I, remember, I don't know if there's any real, uh, uh, there probably is. There's probably, and some nerd or geek would be able to say, hey, this is the this, this is the dictionary definition of nerd. You guys should have looked this up. Why are you doing this and I'm just re- making up
0: your own? Yeah, I'm thinking back to the first time that we we met Charlotte Blank. I think that we actually met her at a conference, and we introduced ourselves, and she said, "Oh, I'm so willing to nerd out." <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, that was a pretty great that was a pretty great comment. Like, so are let's, we? Let's nerds? get a glass of wine and nerd out. <laughs> are we
1: nerds? Are we nerds? I. I don't know. I think we We are. We have a whole society of nerds now. I think we are nerds. We are nerding out about behavioral science (laughs) and we love it. But it's are we? What ge- we do? But are we geeks? I'm definitely not a geek. because <laughs> If that's the science, uh, the 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 technology kind of piece, you know, I'm not. That's you don't have a geeky I, brain. I bow down to your geekiness in in that facet. All right, but let's talk about Chris. Let's talk about Chris. This was interesting. I mean, wide, wide, oh, wide oh, ranging. Yeah. Hard to sometimes you know narrow in.
0: But it was fascinating. Hard, so, impossible, impossible <laughs> to, to reign in? I don't think there was really any. Raining.
1: Yeah, You know, we've had a few interviews like this. We have had, you know, Barry Ritholtz was like, whoa, we would just cover every <laughs> yeah, different yes. topic. You know, yeah. there's been a few. Yeah. This one was fun. This one was fun, though. So what, what, yeah. what do you want to talk about? What do you want to groove on? What do you want to, what's interesting? Uh,
0: one of the things that Chris said about why are we drawn to some people and not others? He gave this example of, um, you know, I've written an article and some people just love it and some people don't. Why is that? And there is something fascinating about it. I don't have any science a- around this, by the way. I, I haven't done You're any. You're not nerding out on this? <laughs> I'm not. This is just being human? <laughs> I haven't. But it's a fascinating it- It's a fascinating topic for me because I'm always interested in what is it that makes uh, you and I click so well? And why is it that you- you've met thousands of people across your life? And nobody else clicks with me. Thank God. <laughs> Is that because I'm a nerd? No, (laughs) no, it's not because. No, it's not that no one else clicks with you. Oh, that's not what what I was intending to say. What I meant is that there are a, a, a small group of people that we really click with, right? We have a best friend, or maybe today's world we have you know thousands of best friends, but. But it's it, it works for some and not others, and and why is that? So so tell us, Doctor Kurt. <laughs> oh, fine, <laughs> put me on the spot. No, I, I
1: think this is interesting because we can talk about this. Is it a a mix of the personalities of who we are? Right? Is there is there some component where it is based upon? I have this self image of myself and how I view myself and my personality such that I respond in certain ways when things happen and you have your own personality and those two personalities just somehow they, they fit, they don't clash, right? That could be part of it. And I think that's a, that's a big part. I also am interested and I don't have any science to back this up either is, is what is the context that, that that happened in. And so for instance, we met in very in, in a in a way that we were working together and we had this component um and we were collaborating on some some work. That, you know, would our relationship be different if it was maybe competing against each other? Oh yeah, and, certainly context absolutely has an influence on context. That. And so the context of Uh, So, you know, I think Chris was talking about, you know, how, how it is like when you meet a stranger and instantly they think you're funny and then, you know, you basically do the same thing with somebody else and they think you're just a jerk and (laughs) and very different things like that. And, and part of that I think has to be personality based, but also contextual. And so what is the context? Where did I come from? Am I exhausted and tired? Did I just see something? Was I primed to receive
0: the the comedy? Was I not primed to receive that okay, comedy? Okay, but not to throw a a stick in the wheel, but how is it that we meet somebody and our first impression is, eh, they're you know, they're not somebody I'm gonna be I'm gonna hang with. And then we end up being in a situation where we talk more with them. We get to learn more about them, and it's like, wow, we're actually—they're pretty cool. I really dig them. Well, how does that happen? And, and by the way, I'm speaking from some personal experience that just happened recently in my life, where first time I met this guy is like, oh man, it's kind of a creep. And <laughs> honestly, you know, and then and then I have this opportunity to have an in depth conversation with him. Oh my gosh, he's like super thoughtful and philosophical, and was like, "Wow, we could hang, we could, you know, have beers and just, you know, chill." Well, again, so is that
1: where the personality then outweighs the context? The original context, yeah, right. And so, is there that original context where, or has the context changed? Is the contextual component that you are now talking or interacting with this person? different than what you had had in that original one so you're seeing that person in a new light that's a good question
0: okay what uh, what what did you take away from our conversation with chris what was the like oh my gosh i loved the whole component about google and facebook being advertising agencies
1: that are trying to mine us for as much information about ourselves as possible and the privacy that we are giving up to them and we've had conversations about we, we this. We have talked about this. And in particular, where there's a subset of the population, where Chris was saying there's a subset of the population that is more willing to do that than others, and yet when you ask the the leaders of these companies to divulge some of their privacy and they're kind of being very, nope, they, they're they very closed-minded, build those walls around themselves. Very I thought garden. that was fascinating again, that, that dichotomy of... They're trying to mine this information, but they don't want to give the information up.
0: Yeah. Well, uh, George Loewenstein, you know, one of our, our favorite researchers, your your you know academic you know <laughs> crush crush. Yes. <laughs> All right. So, but George has done some work on this, um, and he, he actually had a couple of of um, co-authors on this, uh, Alessandro Cristi and uh, Laura Brendemart. I think were, the, were the, uh, the folks that he worked with on this. But but they ended up diving deep into the whys behind, uh, behind this privacy issue. And they came back with three insights um, that are behaviorally science focused. So the first one is that people's uncertainty about consequences and privacy-related behaviors and their own preferences over those consequences are central. In, in other words, we don't know exactly what's gonna happen If we, if we share, and that could either lead us to saying, I don't know what's going to happen and I'm concerned about it. And so I won't, or I don't know what's going to happen and I don't care. Yeah. Right. So, so our, our uncertainty about the consequences is the, is the first thing. The second thing is, uh, is the context of that concern. Like what, what's the environment, Uh, that is creating or creating either privacy or a lack of privacy. So is it, is it in a place where we generally trust? A lot of people have sort of a sense of uh, on Facebook, especially I'm in a place where I'm sharing with all my friends. It's a sharing environment. Of course I'll share information with them. I, you know, I, I want, I want my best self forward. Um, and then, and then the last is the degree to which the privacy concerns are malleable or manipulatable uh, by commercial and government interests. okay right? Like, where do we feel like we're most vulnerable? You know, is is sort of that that third element, and that's a key part of what allows us to, to either say, "I think that there's nefarious," you know, I, I'm, whether I'm a conspiracy theorist or not. If I believe that there's some kind of nefarious. Um, activity that could be lurking behind this information that I'm sharing, that might lead me to say, no, I'm not going to share.
1: Oh, it's, I, I was thinking it was more about the, the content of the information that we're sharing. So on Facebook, I feel fine sharing these pictures of me being on vacation because how can you know, Facebook or Google or whoever use that information. I'd be right. much less, you know, willing to say, hey, I have a medical treatment and I'm trying to find some information about that that, you know, I may not want to be shared uh, out there with everybody elsewhere. else. And so was that now something that I'm I'm going to be doing a Google search for because they could Potentially nefariously use that. That's where I was thinking that you were. Going well, and with that. and
0: and we could certainly compartmentalize those those kinds of things. I, I the the one piece
1: that I think is interesting on this is we talk about incentives all the time, and and what some of those incentives can drive our different behaviors. And so I wonder if there isn't an incentive to being on these um, social media things and in Google and various different aspects that is this immediate reward that we get either through sharing social media and getting that likes and various other kind of dopamine releases that happen or being able to get the information that I need to do something via a Google search, whatever that would be. Or joining a Facebook group that provides me with all sorts of crowdsourced information. Exactly. Those facets that are an immediate reward for me, Versus the potential long-term implications that we discount, and we've talked a lot about that discounting of potential things in the future, where that gets you know um, has a much less impact on our current behavior than than say an
0: immediate reward. It's anthropological. It's tribal. Right. It gets back to, we want to put our best foot forward because we want the tribe to accept us. We want the tribe to be willing to support us when things aren't going so great. And so that, that we want to use social media as a way of presenting our best selves. Right. Right. What happens here? Here's a question for you. What happens when this, this world of social media is the corporation? what happens when it is central to the way the corporation operates. And that is actually at Facebook. So I was talking to um, uh, someone that I met recently who is in uh, HR at Facebook and they're, they use Facebook in their daily communications at work. So Ooh. 100% of everything that people at Facebook write in their Facebook account is instantly shared with all of their employee connections. Hmm what would that be like then because you're in a different context that we've talked about
1: from this perspective Mm -hmm. because oftentimes you think of facebook now I have multiple Facebook accounts, right? I have a personal Facebook account, and then I have the Lantern Group Facebook account, and then we have the Behavioral Group Facebook yeah. account. And so I operate on Facebook in three different levels, right? And there's that personal component, mm-hmm. which is the one that I, I, I look at most, right? And, and, and you do the same the one, on Twitter. I do the same on Twitter. I have yeah. I have the two different, different handles, although those are more... Pretty more closely uh, related. Really, you know, I don't have personal Twitter account necessarily. That being said, you know, intertwining with the corporation, I think is really, I, I don't know. I mean, how do you separate that out? And so then where are those lines drawn? How does that impact what I say and what I don't say? It's a well, it's aren't, fascinating.
0: Aren't they saying in so, at some degree, there isn't a, a, a separator that work and life are just part of the same story. It's just one big narrative.
1: Well, and to a degree, I mean, if you think about this whole component of, you know, work-life balance, which it really isn't. It's this work-life. <laughs> right. what, um, who did we talk to that we talked about this with? The the integration of work and life. Oh, drawing a blank. We'll fill it in in the notes when we look at afterwards. But there's that integration that says no, it isn't this like work and life. It's it's all of this is getting blurred within our world. And if you think back in human evolution, right? there wasn't work and life. There was just life. It was just life. Right. right. I mean, you were a hunter gatherer, you know, it wasn't this, Oh, I'm going to work to go out and hunt. No, that's what you did. That's who <laughs> to you survive. were. It's what the, the, the right. tribe did. So I think there's all that interesting piece. The, the last part on this that I want to just talk a little bit about, Oh, there's, there's more. Of course there's more, <laughs> there you go. but going back to something that Chris said about, you know, all of these different companies and different social media things have opt-out opportunities for us. We can go in and we can change our privacy settings and go in and do that to make it harder for them to really get in depth of who and what we are. And that's interesting because we brought up this fact that you have to go in and do it. It's not necessarily intuitive. And there is a friction that they're bringing up. And so our conversation with Roger Dooley and talking about when you add in that friction, and I think they're doing it very purposefully. It it impacts our
0: behavior. Absolutely. Roger's discussion about the wine club and the amount of effort it took to, to opt out of the wine club was overwhelming. Right. And so it's like
1: opting out or opting in whatever it is in privacy. Right. So The fact of the matter is you're probably getting a lot of people who are not doing it just because that even if it's a little bit of friction and I think it's more than a little bit of friction is is out there. So thus I use DuckDuckGo until I want to, you know, mess with Google and say, hey, I'm looking at squirrel food, you know, and let's see how many ads for squirrel food I get. So let's see. All right. So with that. Thank you, listeners. We appreciate you listening in. And as always, if you want to leave us a review, please do so. We really appreciate them, and they do go a long way in helping
0: convert—not
1: convert—to get the message out there.
0: Yeah, because they—they impact the rankings uh, within within Apple, uh, so. especially. So, so yeah. So thank you, thank you all for listening and sharing your thoughts.